This morning's text meets us immediately on the heels of last week's. Jesus has moved on from his hometown after butting heads with those gathered in the synagogue, those who cannot quite wrap their heads around who he is and all that he is up to. He responds by sending the twelve out into neighboring villages where they may or may not be welcomed themselves and where they will be utterly dependent on strangers and on God for their survival. And then Mark shifts our focus to another scene in another location. It is as if we have front row seats, a scary thing for Presbyterians, Front row seats to a play where one spotlight fades on Jesus and the twelve stage right, while another spotlight comes on, revealing Herod remembering his birthday banquet, stage left. It is a lavish memory woven through with intrigue, violence, and regret. Not the Typical Bible passage, perhaps, and yet Mark, who is careful and spare with his words, spends a fair amount of time on this memory, inviting us to do the same. So now, friends, I invite you to listen as I read from Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible translation. Together, let us listen for the word of God. Herod the king heard about these things because the name of Jesus had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and this is why miraculous powers are at work through him. Others were saying he is Elijah. Still others were saying he is a prophet like one of the ancient prophets. But when Herod heard these rumors, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised to life. He said this because Herod himself had arranged to have John arrested and put in prison because of Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother Philip. Herod had married her, but John told Herod, it's against the law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias had it in for John. She wanted to kill him, but she couldn't. This was because Herod respected John. He regarded him as a righteous and holy person, so he protected him. John's words greatly confused Herod, yet he enjoyed listening to him. Finally, the time was right. It was on one of Herod's birthdays when he had prepared a feast for his high-ranking officials and military officers and Galilee's leading residents. Herod's daughter, Herodias, came in and danced, thrilling Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the young woman, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Then he swore to her, Whatever you ask, I will give to you, even as much as half of my kingdom. She left the banquet hall and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, Herodias replied. 
Hurrying back to the ruler, she made her request. I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a plate right this minute. Although the king was upset because of his solemn pledge and his guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he ordered a guard to bring John's head. The guard went to the prison, cut off John's head, brought his head on a plate, and gave it to the young woman, and she gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came and took his dead body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Really? I know I said that if Mark pays attention to this scene that we should too, but that does not mean that it doesn't make me queasy. This passage reads more like the plot of a soap opera than what I want or expect to hear in worship on a bright, beautiful Sunday morning. And yet, just as Jesus is occasionally unsettling and not always gentle, Jesus, meek and mild, the world into which he comes, the world he was born to save, is rarely gentle, meek, or mild either. So we press on, trusting that there is something for us to be gleaned, even here in these words. So the hometown crowd are not the only ones to be unsettled by Jesus. In verse 14, Mark tells us that Herod has heard about Jesus' disruptive teaching and preaching and healing and that of his disciples. As my friend and colleague Meg Perry McLaughlin writes, you could call Herod a king, but that's not really fair. He's a puppet of Rome administering a specific territory under Rome's authority, the territory where John had been preaching. Herod thought he had dealt with John, but he's rattled by Jesus and his disciples who resemble the prophets in the way they point to another kind of rule and reign. So Herod thought that he had squelched this kind of talk with the death of John. The spreading word of Jesus's and the disciples' mission tells him he's wrong. Word of their work brings back memories of John and his unsettling, truth-telling ways. John haunts Herod. And the memories whisk Herod back to that fateful night when he was faced with a choice between saving face and saving a life. It has been well over 35 years since I read Mark Twain's Adventures of Huck Finn. But even as my memory of many things grow fuzzy in the heart of my sixth decade, Huck Finn is a character who has lingered in my imagination. Maybe that's because I can still remember sitting in the admissions office at Davidson College with my heart pounding and my palms sweating while I waited for my interview, knowing that applicants were expected to speak somewhat knowledgeably and intelligently and articulately about this novel. I'm not sure what the exact question was, but I do remember referencing the famous moment in the book when Huck must make a decision about turning in Jim, the man who is enslaved by Miss Watson, the man he's been traveling down the Mississippi River with, the man who has become his dear friend. 
Huck has been taught that the Bible declares that helping an escaped slave means facing eternal torment. And yet deep in his heart, deep in his gut, Huck cannot bring himself to play any part in sending Jim back. As he reads back over the letter he has written to Miss Watson confessing his sin of doing what he's been warned all of his life not to do, we, the reader, overhear Huck's thoughts. He thinks it was a close place. I took it up and held it in my hand, and I was trembling because I'd got to decide forever between two things, and I noted. it. I studied a minute, sort of holding my breath, and then says to myself, all right, then I'll go to hell and tore it up. This is the scene that remains fresh in my mind. It is also the scene that resonates with the late Rachel Held Evans when she reflects on difficult choices she had to make along the way as she wrestled with the faith of her childhood and the call to faithfulness even as an adult. Evans says sometimes true faithfulness requires something of a betrayal. That call to faithfulness is a call that Huck finds a way to answer. It is also a call that Herod cannot bring himself to embrace. Now, as a senior in high school, I was quite the romantic idealist. I can still feel the passionate indignation rising in my chest and the red flush rushing from my neck to my cheeks as I imagined myself in Huck's shoes. Of course I would make the right choice. Of course I would do the faithful thing. Of course I would respond the right way when faced with this moment of grace. I'm not sure I immediately see grace in Huck's wrestling over what to do about Jim or in Herod's turmoil over what to do about John, but that's how the writer Flannery O'Connor sees these pivot points. She writes, there is a moment in every great story in which the presence of grace can be felt as it waits to be accepted or rejected. The Gospel of Mark is sympathetic to Herod, perhaps surprisingly so. Mark tells us that Herod is upset or deeply grieved in other translations when he hears the girl's request. And that word is used only one other place in this gospel to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our passage this morning is a sordid tale, and yet there is a moment when Herod can choose to save face or to lose face. No small thing in the ancient world and save a life. And he chooses to let grace go, resulting in the death of one who fascinated him, one who challenged him, one who repeatedly offered to show him a different way to rule, a better way to live. This pivot point is not the only moment of grace in the story. Herod misses other moments when he decides that John's call to repentance and new life and a new kingdom with an entirely different kind of king is just too outlandish, too far-fetched, too risky.
to embrace. So when the chance to extend grace comes Herod's way, he and we sadly know how the story will play out. Now, I wouldn't necessarily consider my life to be a grand story or even a great one. But I did once think that my moments of grace would come on grand stages with far-reaching consequences. Now I know that in the life of faith, moments of grace, the instances when I find myself betwixt two things, as Huck would say, are more of the ordinary sort. Do I side with the bully who's been my beloved friend for years or with the one being bullied who has always been more than a bit prickly and difficult to love? Do I confront a dear friend's dad when he makes a racist comment or just let it go and not embarrass him or me? Do I confess when I draw the wrong conclusion about someone's ability based on her accent or just move along and hope no one notices? In those moments of grace and others, when things could go either way, am I more Huck or Herod? In truth, I'm a mix of both. I've never risked my life for a runaway slave, nor have I called for the execution of a prophet because of an impulsive promise. I have, however, made right choices that angered people I love. And I have made wrong choices that let others down. And I will likely do both again. This story is the only one in Mark's gospel that is not explicitly about Jesus. But it does play a part in fleshing out who Jesus is and who we're called to be in his name. By including this story in vivid detail, Mark reminds us that the world into which Jesus sends the twelve and us is rarely gentle, meek, or mild. It is a world fraught with those who will clutch power at the expense of those who preach peace, love, mercy, and justice. And it is a world filled with moments of grace. Pivot points when we may choose the way of saving face or bringing life. The final scene in this text hints at one other that will come all too quickly in the story. John's disciples come to gather John's body and place it in a tomb. And their tenderness looks nothing like the horrific display around Herod's table. No, in fact, it looks more like the moment of grace that informs all the rest. In that moment, Jesus Christ himself will have the chance to save himself, to walk away, to turn his back on Hupp's and Herod's both. And he does not. Thanks be to God. Amen.